I've requested Ajahn Brahm to lead us in the uh, Sunday morning chanting, as we usually do. Uh, if you don't have your books, it's okay. Just uh, put your hands together and just uh, follow the, the beautiful sounds of the chant, which is really the teachings of the Buddha. Yeah. So Ajahn Brahm, may we request you to start our Sunday service, please. Yes, no, no. Yeah, God. Very good. First of all, I'm disappointed that I was compared to Elvis Presley and Michael Jackson. Both of them are dead. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> well, you can only be a legend when you're dead. <laughs> no, you should have said someone young and handsome like Justin Bieber. <laughs> but then she'll be breaking her precepts. So, we can now do the chanting. Uh, because we do chanting in all sorts of different ways, I think it's Namotasa again first, then Bhutan or Arahang? Arahang. Arahang, then three refuges and five precepts. Sorry, Arahang first. Arahang first, then Namotasa, three refuges and five precepts. Very good. Now we've decided. Here we go. So, uh, how do we do it? A one, a two, a one, two, three, no. Is that how you do it here? No. Okay. You can just uh, chant along with me. Alahan Sama Sambodo Bhagawa Bodang Bhagawandang Abiwa Demi Sawakato Bhagavata Dhammo Dhammagnamasami Supatipano Bhagavato Sawakasango Sankang Namami. Another Namo Tassa three times. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Alahato Samma Sambuddhasa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato. Alahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Alahato Samma Sambuddhasa Now the three refuges Bhutang Saranangachami Dhammang Saranangachami Sankhang Saranangachami Dutiyampi Bhutang Saranangachami Gachami Dutiyam Pidamang Saranak 
Gachami Dutiyam Pisangam Savanangachami Tatiyam Pibodang Savanangachami Tatiyam Pidamang Savanangachami Tatiyam Pisangang Savanangachami Now we do the five powerful precepts. Panati Pata Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Adinadana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Kamesu Michachara Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Musawada Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Suramiraya Majapamadatana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Sadhu Sadhu Excellent. So what happens next? Thank you, Ajahn Brahm. So now uh, we'd like to invite Ajahn Brahm to give the talk on the path of enlightenment. The path of enlightenment. Very good. So today, everybody, is your lucky day. Today you're going to find out how to become enlightened, especially the path to enlightenment. And now it's really important you have some understanding of what enlightenment actually is. Otherwise, do you really know why you're joining the Buddhist fellowship? Where is this going to end? What's going to happen to you? Sometimes I say, when you become a Buddhist, sometimes it's like getting on a bus and you don't know the destination. Where is this bus going? Do you know what enlightenment is? You may have read about it. You may have thought about it. You may have heard about it, but do you know what it really is? Which is why sometimes it's a bit difficult being a Buddhist, because we really want to find, we really want to make sure that we have some idea of the direction and the destination in which we're going in life. <coughs> but some of the great masters, some people, even the Buddha, he was so wise and smart that he gave away that even though you may not see the destination, at least you understand that you are going in the right direction. 
And as long as you're going in the right direction, you realize that one day you're going to get there. An example, I always like telling stories. When I was young, actually I'm not that old now, am I? Maybe I am. When I was young and still a student, I would love spending my holidays, my vacations, up in Scotland, walking in the highlands, camping out, meditating, living close to nature. It's such a peaceful place to be. And I remember staying at a youth hostel way up in the north of Scotland. It was a beautiful day, and together with the warden of the youth hostel, who knew the local area, we decided to go on a walk up one of the mountains. When we got up to the top of the mountain, it was still a very beautiful, sunny, clear day. And I saw another mountain in the distance. I said, let's go and walk up the other mountain as well. And my friend, the warden of the youth hostel, said, no, no, one mountain a day is enough for me. So I said, I'm going back home. So you carry on. So I went up the second mountain myself. Now when I walked up that mountain, it was still a very clear day. But when I got to the top of that peak, the clouds suddenly came down. And I couldn't believe just how a clear day could turn into a day where I was totally enveloped in the mist. And I couldn't see almost my hand in front of me. I could only just see. I realized how dangerous those highlands of Scotland could be. And there was I, trapped on top of a mountain, not knowing which way to go. Now that could have been scary, but you know in my life I've always been courageous, a risk taker. That's why I became a monk. Sounded like a good idea at the time, and still was. But, there I was, not knowing which way to go. Now most of you think you have a sense of direction. I thought I knew which way I had come, so I started to retrace my steps very carefully. Now, I will never forget this moment. As I was walking, thinking I was going back to where I came from, right in front of me suddenly appeared this huge drop, many hundreds of feet. I've come across a cliff. I checked later in the maps. I had gone in absolutely the opposite direction which I thought I was going. And if I hadn't been careful, I would have fallen over that cliff and I wouldn't be here today. And that really scared me because it was such a strong mist you could not see maybe one meter visibility at most. And I almost fell over the edge. So I sat down and thought, how am I going to escape this? Because sometimes those mists last for days. How can I find my way home? And I was a clever little man, so I decided, I had a, an idea. Find a stream. Because I was studying physics, physics, theoretical physics. And I knew from my studies that water always flows downhill. <laughs> Einstein's theory of gravity. So that was actually my trick. I found a stream, I knew that that water would always go down, 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 so that would lead me down the mountain to where it was clear and I could find my directions. Of course, that's what I did. And I could find my way home. 
Now, I've used that experience as a simile for the path to enlightenment. Even though that sometimes life is like you're in a mist, you can't see too far ahead of yourself. You don't really know where the destination is going to be. But you always know that the path to enlightenment always flows down from problems, suffering, uh, anxiety. It always flows in the direction for a greater peace, greater happiness, greater compassion, greater love. And that was the key to knowing how to become enlightened. It was the path, as long as whatever I was doing was creating more peace in my life and the others around me, it was creating more happiness, again for myself and others, and increasing love and compassion, I knew, yes, that must be going in the right direction. And that's what I followed. I could not see the goal, it was too far away. But at least I knew that was the way to reach the goal. Because if Buddhism is about peace, if you have an idea that the Buddha, which is you know, the person we're trying to emulate, has got so much love and compassion, if you've got the idea that the Buddha is a happy person, then you know this must be leading in the right direction. So the path to enlightenment is seeing what you can do right now to create a greater sense of peace inside yourself and in the world. What you can do to develop more compassion, more kindness towards yourself and all others. To see what you can do to develop more silence around this hall. <laughs> I don't know what's happening out there. Anyway, Angie's going to fix it. We always say that there's a person <laughs> Thank you so much. I think they're just applauding my talk. <laughs> anyway, are they, are they collecting the rubbish bins today? Oh, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So, um, if it's going in the right direction, a greater peace, kindness and love, you know it's going in the proper direction. So for me, whether it's meditation, or whether it was all the activities which a monk has to do in the world, whatever it was, I always thought as long as I'm creating more kindness and peace, I must be travelling in the right direction. So how can we do that? How can we travel in the right direction? You know there's always a way to be kind, a little bit more kind to people. Sometimes in my life though I get really tired. Because so many people come up to me and they ask me all these questions. Sometimes they ask me to sign all these books. Sometimes they ask me, can we take photo of you? When I was in Indonesia recently, I. I did an estimate about 100,000 photos in nine days. A huge number. Flash, 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 flash. I'm going to apply to Guinness Book of Records. I think I've beaten 
Prince William and, and Princess Kate. <laughs> but, so what would you do? You may be tired. You may be having a sore throat. You may not feel well. But, I could always make peace. I could always be kind. And I could always be gentle. And for me, that meant I could always go deeper in or deeper towards enlightenment. Years ago, somebody came up to me and they said, yes, we know that meditation is important, crucial to become enlightened. The Buddha became enlightened by sitting under a tree meditating. You know, just sitting there doing nothing, being peaceful, and became enlightened. And they said, well, I've tried meditation, but I just can't do it. They said, my mind keeps sinking, or I go falling asleep. I just can't sit still, I'm so restless. Therefore, they said, I cannot meditate. And I said, sir, it means you don't understand what meditation is. Anybody can meditate at any time. Because I said to him, when your mind is restless and worried and thinking about so many things, can you make peace with your mind? Instead of fighting a war with it, can you just let your mind be? You know what we mean making peace? is having a ceasefire. Not fighting your mind, just making peace with it. He said, of course I can, but it'll go all over. I don't care what's going to happen next. Make peace with it now. Can you be kind to your sleepiness or your restlessness? He said, yes, I can be kind. But can you be gentle? If you can make peace and be kind, be gentle, I said, then you can meditate. That's what meditation is. And that's something you can do at any time of your day. Making peace, being kind, and being gentle. That to me is following the stream which leads to enlightenment. And it makes it very simple and also within your power to achieve. It's a powerful thing, this teaching of making peace, being kind, being gentle. For those of you who have studied some Buddhism, you will recognize that this actually comes from the Buddhist Eightfold Path, which is the way to become enlightened. It is the second factor of the Eightfold Path. And just to impress everybody, because I know a month ago, Angie said, you should quote more Pali. It gives you credibility. <laughs> so, it's called Nekama, uh, Nekama Sankapa, Awayapada Sankapa, and Ahingsaka Sankapa. The three right intentions or right thoughts. Making peace, being kind, being gentle. It is essential to the path. Which is why 
For example, we had that sound a minute ago. Now they've calmed down. You know, sometimes in life, you're trying to be peaceful and there's all these sounds around you. This was one of the stories, again, from my life as a monk in Thailand, that we were trying to meditate late at night and getting up early in the morning in Thailand. But when the local villagers, when they had a party, and they did maybe you know, two or three times of the year, they had some celebration. They hired a generator, they had these huge amplifiers and speakers, and they were partying till about two o'clock in the morning. And it was so loud that there's no way that we could go to sleep, even though our monastery was two kilometers away. It was so noisy. Now you may think it's okay for you to stay up till two o'clock in the morning, but I had to get up at three o'clock. That was when the bell came. So all the villagers, they were fast asleep by that time, but that was the time I had to get up. And so when you've only got an hour's sleep or an hour and a half sleep, you get very, very weak. So after a, two or three days of this, because the party kept on going on every night, we asked the head man of the village, who was you know, quite intelligent, he was a Buddhist. We said, Lord, can't you stop the music at midnight? Please give us three hours of sleep, or one o'clock, give us two hours of sleep, please. And he said, no, we're villagers, we have to have our parties. So he wouldn't listen. So we decided to ask our great master, Ajahn Shah. They would listen to him because they were scared of him. And you know what happened when we asked Ajahn Shah? He said, can you please tell these villagers to stop all this loud music so we can rest? Ajahn Shah said no, but he gave us a wonderful teaching. He said, monks, it's not the noise that disturbs you. It's you who disturb the noise. Now that was one of those teachings which went right inside and you thought, my goodness, what a wise saying that is and how you can use that in all sorts of different areas of my life. It's not the noise disturbs me, it's me who disturbs the noise. If I don't disturb the noise, I can make peace with it. I can be kind to it. I can be gentle with it. And you know, then there's no problem. It's just like all you men. Is it your wife who disturbs you? <laughs> or do you disturb your wife? <laughs> Sometimes, it doesn't matter, you know, if she speaks a lot. I, this man in Australia, he told me, he said, usually after about 14 or 15 years of marriage, he said, I've learned after all those years of marriage to my wife how to hear her without listening. <laughs> and I think you all know what I mean. So, so he was saying, exactly, my wife is speaking, but I don't disturb her noise. Now what we mean by this is whatever's happening in your life, even if you're sick, is it the sickness disturbs you or do you disturb the sickness? 
lot of times we can make peace with it. We can be kind with it. We can be gentle with it. Now this is important with something like sickness. Because if we fight the sickness, so often we make it worse. If we fight the sound, it drives us crazy inside. If you fight your wife, <laughs> then you know what's going to happen next. So, instead of fighting these things, a lot of times we know how to make peace, be kind and be gentle. We realize we're going on the path of enlightenment. What we're doing, we're not changing the world because the world is too hard to change. Can you change sickness so no one gets sick anymore? Can you change wives? Can you take them to the shop to get repaired so they can always say nice things to you? You should have a husband shop too, shouldn't they? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you can go to a husband shop and put your husband in for maintenance and so after three or three days he comes out this improved product always being doing what you want and being kind and being wonderful to you. You can make a lot of money if you can uh, open up a husband shop which uh, fixed up you know, husbands which don't work properly. You know like you've got a, a computer and it doesn't work, it keeps crashing or putting up the wrong messages. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have like a husband shop so you can send your husband in for repairs? A wife shop, a kid shop, of course you can't do that. And the reason is because this is what husbands are like. Can we speak? Ah, the sound is rumbling in the back. Can you hear better now? Okay, so I have to speak. Is this what an enlightened mug speaks like nice and slow? I've got to go closer. Is that any better? How's the sound now? Can you hear in the back? Put your hand up. Okay. Is that, is that better or this better? Okay. Okay. So, I have to make peace be kind and be gentle with whatever is happening. So the secret of life is that you cannot change the world. You can make it a tiny bit better, but what we do is to change the way we look at the world, to change our attitude to the world. And I like the uh, example of changing our attitude to sickness. If we make peace with our sickness, if we're kind to our sickness, if we're gentle to our sickness, you will find that the sickness doesn't last that long. You will find you get healthier because by making peace, being kind, being gentle, you are taking away the stress which makes the sickness worse by making peace, being kind, being gentle. It has a huge healing effect on the body. As it does have a great healing effect on life. If you try walking that path towards enlightenment, it doesn't mean that you're being irresponsible 
and your business, your family gets worse, it actually gets better. It's just like many of the psychological problems we have in life. Like getting depressed. Are you depressed today after the election? <laughs> Are you angry, upset, rejoicing? It doesn't matter. The election's there, it's finished, it's over. Getting angry, depressed, does that change the result? I remember again when I was a school teacher there was a big soccer match in England. England were doing a World Cup qualifying match. And they only needed to draw to win. It was an exciting it was an exciting match. And many times the English soccer team they hit the post. They headed just over the bar. They had goals disallowed. It was nil-nil, but they were still going to go through. And the last minute, the opposition, I think it was Portugal, they got a freak pass and they scored a goal. And England were out of the World Cup. Oh! You know, being at school, teaching teenagers, they're always difficult to discipline. But the following morning, not one of the naughty kids did anything wrong. They were all depressed. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. How all those children and the teachers too were so depressed. It was as if the end of the world had happened. It was only a football match. Big deal. The board is round. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. That's the nature of life. More over here. That's the nature of life. Sometimes you can hear my talk, sometimes you can't. It's the nature of life. And doesn't matter how hard we try to make things perfect. In life, is it ever perfect? Is your wife perfect? If she's sitting next to you, nod your head and say yes. <laughs> but being honest, you say no. Is your husband perfect? No, but isn't it good enough? Make peace. Be kind. Be gentle. And then we don't get depressed. I remember one of Ajahn Chah's favourite stories. He said once there was a man who had a chicken and he wanted the chicken to be a duck. And because of that he suffered so much and he stood under a tree crying. When someone came up to him he said, Why are you crying? He said, Because I'm a I've got a chicken and I want it to be a duck. That was a very stupid man. Chickens are chickens, ducks are ducks. It doesn't matter how much you want a chicken to be a duck, it will never be a duck. It's a chicken. However much you want your husband to be like Justin Bieber, I'm afraid, no way. Your husband's a chicken, he can never be a duck. <laughs> life is like this. And you know, a lot of enlightenment is realising 
here we are, this is life, let's make the most of it instead of arguing and complaining so much about what our children are like. I don't know how many people in the last week, it's just maybe a coincidence, saying that their children are not behaving. They're 13, 14 or 15 years of age and they're having all sorts of problems. That is natural. That's what children are like. I gave a, uh, a keynote address at a psychology conference in Melbourne two months ago and there there was a, a top neuroscientist who was telling us that this is actually genetically programmed into your kids because the way our brains have evolved that we are not supposed to be able to uh, take responsibility and make decisions for ourselves until about 18 or 19 or 20. Only then is the brain developed enough to take responsible decisions because in our evolution we were always in big families, tribes or groups. We never have that position of authority to take responsibility in our early years. But now, because of our modern society, children as long as 11 or 12 have to take responsibility. And because of that, am I going over time? Can you hear or not? Okay, I'm just going to do a short break because I need to reorganize some of the people in the back. Can you, those of you who are in the front, uh, can you all take your chairs and move up so okay. that then the people in the back can move up because the speakers in the back seem pretty useless. Thank you. And if you have an empty chair next to you, bring it up as well with you, and then we will fill all those empty chairs first. Thank you. Great. Please start sitting down, the ones on my right here. Thank you. Okay, if you have the empty seats next to you, please raise your hand so that the people in the back can come and fill up the empty seats. All the friends in the back, please move up because you can see the hands up here who've got empty seats. Do not uh, waste the opportunity of being here and not being here well because of the limitations of this hall. So come forward and fill up the seats. Look, there's a lot of empty seats here. The hands are still up. They have not been filled. So please come forward. Those in the back, please fill up the seats in the front. You don't even need to move your chair. You just need to move yourselves up. Please keep your hands up, those of you who've got empty seats. Thank you. Come, come, come. Empty seats, yep, over there. Okay. 
Okay, great. Can we have everyone seated now, please? Okay, can we do a sound check from your mic, please, Ajahn? Anyone there? Maybe this mic's better. Okay. Try this mic. Okay. I'll do stereo. Okay. Is that much better? Um, Henry, can you hear at the back? Very good. There's actually a better mic. Okay. So, I'm not sure how much you've heard so far of my talk. If you've had a lot of good karma, then you would have heard everything. But if your karma was not so good, then you'd have missed much. Because I've been telling you how to become enlightened. And those who've heard everything are probably already enlightened already. For those of you who've missed a few things, never mind, in your next life you may be able to become enlightened. But the most important story was the story of, hopefully you heard it, about the way to peace, happiness and harmony is understanding that simile of the river. If it goes downstream, goes downhill, you know that you're going closer and closer to freedom, out of danger. If you make more peace, be kind, be gentle in your life, you find you have more peace in your life. You have more kindness, you have more gentleness. And you can do that with everything. The sound of the band outside, I can't stop it, Angie can't stop it, no one can stop it, so we can just let it be and make peace with it. If you can do something with it, yeah, try and stop it. Like sickness, if you can do something with sickness, please take the medicines. Well, a lot of times there's nothing you can do except make peace. Don't fight it, be kind, be gentle with your body, and your body heals much faster. In your marriage, sometimes there are problems, but we can make peace with them. It's par for the course. Everyone has those problems. So make peace with them. Be kind. Be gentle. Just let it go. And you find the problems diminish. And just the whole thing in life. We cannot change the world. People have been trying that for, for generations. All your politicians are promising to change the world. I don't blame them. They just can't do it. It's the nature of our world. But what we can do in life is actually to change our attitude to life. Change our attitude to disappointment. If I get disappointment, disappointed and things don't go well, instead of getting depressed, I learn from it. I become a better person. Or even if you take risks in life, in business, in life, you have to take risks. Please don't be afraid of failure. If you do fail, as I said, a poor kaksi, we call that forward failing. By calling it forward failing, it means it's a positive to the failure. Yes, you make a mistake, it doesn't work out this time, but you learn so much on how to do things better next time. So the young people, and if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and it doesn't work out, don't think you failed. You learn from your mistakes how to make sure that the next time you have a relationship it goes much better. If you start a business, it's well known, especially in the West, 
If you start a business the first time, it always fails because you don't really know what you're doing yet. And through experience, maybe the second might fail, maybe the third business might succeed. This is the nature of life. And so when we know the nature of life, we don't fight battles which we can never win. And we can make peace be kind, be gentle instead. So it doesn't matter what you have to deal with in life, you can always make peace, be kind, be gentle. And please remember that, especially in your older years in life. You just cannot stop the body getting old, getting sick and dying as part of life. So don't get upset when that's happening to you. Just enjoy the ride, learn from it. You're making peace, you're being kind, being gentle to your old age. So what I think is very, very crazy, when people are old and they go dyeing their hair. I don't dye my hair. I've got no hair. Oh, they try to inject Botox. That's a poison. I don't know what you do to your body. Just grow old gracefully. Make peace, be kind, be gentle. And then you find you don't have any worries in life. You find actually you're walking that path towards enlightenment. Now imagine, imagine what you think of as an enlightened person. What is an enlightened person? An enlightened person, maybe you may have seen these, these paintings of them in these Chinese watercolours, these hermits living in the mountains. They are always at peace no matter what happens to them. In other words, they know that this is the nature of our life. They know there are battles you can't win, so you don't fight them. Now that's the sign of a wise person. The sign of a stupid person is they fight battles which have got no hope of winning, which means they create so much suffering in themselves. A wise person is someone who's always kind. This is an enlightened person, no matter what happens to you. Sometimes people get angry at you. An enlightened person is someone who doesn't respond. Someone asked me, what would happen to you if a thief came up or tried to mug you? What would you do? Would you be afraid? I wouldn't waste any time at all being afraid. I would run. <laughs> and if you got diagnosed as having cancer and it was terminal, what would you do? I trust those doctors, they know more than me. So if they say that it's terminal, I think, whoopee! At last, I can retire! Because you know it's very difficult being a monk. I asked, I think somebody yesterday in Singapore on the way from the airport, how old? you have to be before you retire in Singapore? They said 62. Is that right? Hey, I've only got two more years to go, then I can retire. Put my feet up. <laughs> Will you let me retire after two years? Unfair. <laughs> so I don't mind. So instead of arguing with life, we make peace with life. We're kind, we're gentle. That is the path to enlightenment. Just like the water runs downhill, so making peace, being kind, being gentle.
inclines and flows towards enlightenment. The more you make peace with things, the more you're a peaceful person. And I'm very encouraged that many of you come up here and you say, as one lady said just beforehand, that since she's been a Buddhist, since she's been practicing meditation, her friends have noticed that she's a more peaceful person. People you work with notice that what makes other people upset and angry doesn't make you upset and angry. You're a more peaceful person. So there's something working there. You are flowing down towards enlightenment. Hopefully you're a much kinder person since coming to the Buddhist fellowship. If you're more a pain in the neck for the people you live with, then I don't know what you've been doing coming here. You should be a kinder person. What do you mean by a kinder person? It means you're more forgiving, more tolerant. There's an old saying, if you kick a dog, you get bitten. If you stroke a dog, it wags its tail. So if your wife bites you, it must be you've been kicking her. But if she wags her tail, it means you've been doing something nice, you've been stroking her, you've been kind. That's what happens in life. If you're kind and compassionate, everybody wags their tail, even your enemies. Because we all like kindness being given to us. And lastly, if you are a gentle person, and we all know what gentle... When I grew up, the goal of a man would be a gentleman. And that was what we were supposed to do, be a gentleman. And I like that word, it means you didn't get upset, you didn't shout, you didn't sort of hit people. That wasn't being gentle. And unfortunately that gentility in our modern age seems to have disappeared. That beautiful gentleness of mutual respect, looking after elders, giving them a seat in the bus, you know, if they need it, a pregnant woman, an elderly person. Isn't that beautiful when you see such things happening? When you see somebody forgetting about themselves or looking after others, being gentle and being kind to others, not wanting to hurt them physically or verbally. That's a beautiful thing to see. And to me that was that gentleness, that kindness and that peace was what I always envisaged of an enlightened person. Not what they said, because there's so many people can appear wise. So many people can sit in an auditorium like this and say much wiser words than I've been speaking. You look at what they do when they leave the auditorium and they're not peaceful, they're not kind, they're, they're angry people. It's just a show, which is why actions always do speak louder than words. It's not what you say which makes you enlightened, but it's who you are and how you behave. That is always how you know a person's enlightened. So because of that, you know that that is the goal of enlightenment, and this is how we go towards that goal. It's not a sudden thing that one day, ah, oh, now I understand, and you're enlightened forever. It's a gradual inclining towards enlightenment, just like the river flows gently ever downstream, so the human being 
gradually, gently flows closer and closer towards enlightenment. The more kind you are, the more peaceful you are, the more gentle you are, the closer you are to enlightenment. Can you do that? Because you can do that, it means enlightenment is not beyond you. I know many people say, oh enlightenment is just so high. No way can I, I'm only a man, I'm a woman, I'm Singaporean, you have to be Tibetan or born in India to become enlightened. No! Even Ammo can be enlightened. <laughs> so, it makes it possible. And it makes it something you can do. You can today, the next day you can get a little bit closer to enlightenment just by being kinder to the person you live with, being kinder to yourself, making peace, letting go of all that bad feeling in the past, making peace with your old body. You can't change it, you're stuck with it, so make peace with it, allow it to be. Have a ceasefire and learning how to be more and more gentle in your life. If you do that, you are on the path to enlightenment. Day by day, year by year, you get closer and closer. And other people see that. And you experience that. You're a happier person. And that is how we incline towards enlightenment. That's a path towards enlightenment. So at least you heard the last part of this talk, which is the most important. So thank you for listening, because now we have the Q&A. Thank you, Ajahn Brahm. So now you can see the challenges we have uh, when we don't have our own premises, which uh, the EXCO of Buddhist Fellowship has uh, been striving to get our own premises with a sufficient large facility for our use. Uh, in the past, we've been very lucky to get the Buddhist Lodge whenever Ajahn Brahm comes or Koming uh, San Pokasi Monastery Hall. Uh, but especially in the month of Vesa, all the Buddhist organizations are very packed with activities and events. So that makes it impossible for us to uh, get a good venue. But we will continue to see what the alternatives are in the future. So don't despair. Uh, please still come back. And, uh, and of course, please give us your support and donate generously so we can really afford a, a good uh, premises uh, going forward. So the first question I have for Arjun Brahm is from one of the members here. Meditation is about letting go. Can a lay person achieve jhana? And if he could, would he still be able to live a life of a lay person? Uh, yes, if a person achieves these very deep states of peace. Now this is when everything gets so still. Please speak louder. Okay. This is when things... <laughs> it's, it's just so hard for a monk to shout. I just haven't practiced my shouting muscles for so many years. So, just when a person 
Actually, what the yeah, kind of when a person gets very, very, very still, then that's called a jhana, where nothing moves. It's just right inside yourself in deep states of peace. And lay people do get into those jhanas. I've seen them, they've done it. Not that many, but some do. Now because of that you really understand what peace can be and how it can be like. Of course, if you understand the deep states of peace, and I should add here, this is from the Buddha's teachings, he called that peace in the jhana states, these deep states of meditation. He called that a taste of Nibbāna. So this is what it's really like. Incredible peace, stillness and happiness. Gives you an idea. And because it gives you an idea of what it's like, you can still live as a lay person, but many of the things which upset you or concern you before, you're just not interested in. So it does change you, but for the better. You do become a more kind person, a more gentle, a more peaceful person. You've had a taste of what the real truth is about. So yes, you can attain it, yes, you can still do the lay life, but you'll be much happier, more peaceful, and less demanding of yourself and others. So it's always a win-win positive situation. If you've never experienced a meditation retreat, we would really encourage you to attend the Executive Happiness Retreat coming up. It's on page... That's no page number. On page 7 in the newsletter, which Ajahn Brown will be conducting in very comfortable, aircon, five-star environment. So you have a five-star, five-preset uh, retreat for those especially you're new so that you don't have to feel hungry in the evening because the usual um, stricter retreats will not allow you to eat after lunch. And uh, then you have to meditate on emptiness, the empty stomach. <laughs> okay, the next question is, in our dreams, we see images of places we've never been people we've never seen in this life. Is this related in any way to our past lives? Ah, in your dreams you see strange people and strange places. Is this from your past life? No. <laughs> No, a lot of it is just imagination. It's just the mind, the brain working. It's very, very, very rare that it's something real. So usually what I tell people, if you dream of something and the dream keeps coming back again and again and again, then you might take it seriously. If it's just a one-off dream, a vivid dream, don't even bother with it. But if it recurs maybe two, three times, then maybe take it seriously, as if something's trying to tell you something. But just, we all have dreams, all sorts of dreams, but no need to take them seriously. Does anyone have a question from the floor? You can just raise your hand. 
Okay. I'll pass you the microphone. Hi. Um, so my question's on um, philosophy, and it's the, um, the idea of uh, things being, all phenomena being dependent arising. So um, if we particularly thought in its relation to responsibility, if a thought is um, dependent arising on a long chain of events, um, how, is, how are we responsible for that, the, the actions of the thought? And even if you change your mind and you decide to do something else, well, that's the capacity to have the change of mind was dependent on. So I, I kind of feel that in one way I want to just be at peace with the not knowing, but in another way I want to know. So. Okay, that's a very good question. It's uh, one of the fundamental teachings of Buddhism, which is an insight which comes up later on, is the cause and effect relationship. So even the thought, you know, to ask that question, where did that come from? And as a monk, as a scientist, I love psychology. And there are many, many instances where you find that, sir, you had no choice. You had to ask that question. So don't take any responsibility for it. One of the key experiences which started me understanding this was when I was still a student. At Cambridge I joined three societies, actually four societies. One society was the uh, Astronomical Society because I loved astronomy. I also joined the Buddhist Society. I needed to do some exercise for sport so the other society for sport, this was true, was the Tiddlywink Society. <laughs> it's a stupid little game we used to play in the upstairs of pubs, just for fun, no exercise at all. And the fourth society which I joined was the Psychic Research Society, which investigated all sorts of weird phenomena like ghosts, black magic, and most importantly, hypnosis. Because this society, every year, we would invite a hypnotist to come and give a demonstration in front of students. And of course, I volunteered, but I am not a good hypnotic subject. But there was always one student who was a good subject. And I remember the first year, this hypnotist he put one of the students in a trance and made him do all sorts of ridiculous things, which was hilarious. You know, we were young men, we liked a good time, so, you know, he was making us laugh. But, before he took him out of hypnosis, he told this young student that when the hypnotist touched his left earlobe, the student would stand up in the middle of the audience and sing the British National Anthem, God Save the Queen, in a loud voice. Even though that would be humiliating and embarrassing, we wondered if this student would actually do that. Took him out of hypnosis, and of course a few minutes later the hypnotist touched his ear. And this young man, in an audience maybe this size, stood up in a loud voice, sang the National Anthem, 
where all the other students were hooting and jeering and laughing their heads off at him without any embarrassment at all. And afterwards, we thought it was very funny, we thought it was a joke, but then the hypnotist stopped us laughing and asked this young man the question, why did you decide to sing the British National Anthem? And this young man gave a reason. It was very clear to me that that young man was of the very clear impression that he sang the British National Anthem out of his own free will. To him, he decided to sing the anthem. And that made me consider how many things which I think is my own free will has just been hypnotized, conditioned by my parents, by my teachers, by my society. And the longer I meditated, the more I saw 100%. The very fact that you're looking at me and nodding your head, you've got no choice but to do that. It's been socially conditioned into you. You can't not do that. <laughs> now that is very scary. Because sometimes we wonder, why do we do what we do? Even the thoughts we have are conditioned. So part of my job as a teacher is to brainwash you. <laughs> brainwash you into thinking nice thoughts towards your, your partner, towards yourself, towards life. I am changing your thoughts. It's called in psychology, cognitive behavioural therapy. This is what we're doing here. You're changing the way you think, changing the way you behave to become better, happier, more sensible people. And when that happens, and you become this very kind, peaceful, beautiful person, it is because of myself and other teachers, your parents and other role models which you follow. And it's not just me, I because of my teacher, my teacher because of his teacher. This is the way that the teachings of kindness are transmitted from teacher to student. Yeah, it is dependent, it is caused. But it really makes you think, how much of what I do actually comes from me? You still have to take responsibility for it. If you go and hit me, and you go to jail, or go to court for the trial, if you tell the judge, no, it wasn't me, according to Ajahn Brahm, it was all conditioned, the judge is not going to listen to that, you're still going to go to jail. Yeah, go on, yeah. Um, if you think of it in terms of, of like a domino effect, do you, can you, does the last domino have the responsibility or is the res responsibility on the one that set off the dominoes? And with relation to karma. If you talk about it, dominoes, one domino hits another domino, that hits another domino, which hits another domino. The thing is, what was the first domino? It just goes back, 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 back. You can't find it. But the point is, that the idea of responsibility, which is an important one, has got confused with the idea of guilt. 
And if we have uh, what most people think is responsibility, if we fail, we think, I have failed, it's my fault, I am hopeless, therefore we feel guilt. One of the nice things about Buddhism, there is no such thing as guilt in Buddhism. There's no punishment, there's no revenge or anger. Guilt is anger towards oneself. Now when you get let go of guilt and anger, you understand, yes, we are responsible in another sense. Not responsible fearing punishment or uh, getting caught up in guilt. We can let things go. Our responsibility is not the fear of failure or the fear of punishment. Our responsibility is just our inclination to be kind, to help, to be compassionate to our world. That is our responsibility. It's more responsibility towards others, not just to myself. So the, the whole idea of responsibility changes. We don't think personal responsibility. We think we're responsible for the whole community, for the whole world, rather than just for me. Because we're all in it together. We all influence one another. So it's not your fault. It's not your partner's fault. So I keep on saying, in a relationship, in a marriage, it's not the wife's fault, it's not the husband's fault. Who, whose fault is it? Our fault, yeah. So about the election, is it anyone's fault? Is there an opposition? Is there a government? Even the opposition is part of government. It's always our government, our parliament, both sides. Is it Singapore or Malaysia? It's our, it's our world. It doesn't belong to anybody. It belongs to us. So is it the Islamic terrorist problem? No, it is our problem. I, I, I was told not to get involved in politics. <laughs> Even though it's positive, yeah. No, it's just that we have questions. Okay. Be peaceful, make peace. What if the two are clashing ideas? For example, in life, friendship, work, should one always give up his or her idea to make peace with the other? Will the other person lose him or herself in the process by giving up for other people? Please, advice. Okay, I think I've already answered that question. If you give up for somebody else, in other words, you sacrifice yourself for others, that is not wise. So it's not about the others, because it means there's someone in there who's not included, that's you. So you should never sacrifice yourself for others. You should never just be selfish and to think about yourself. There is that third way, the middle way. It's not about you. It's not about me, it's about us. So if you sacrifice yourself for others, you're not thinking about you. If you're just sacrificing others for yourself, you're not thinking about them. The right way in this world is we're all in this boat together, so it is always about us. So don't be the person who sacrifices for others. You are included. I think sometimes it's not about sacrificing, but 
just difference in opinion, yeah? So should one just say, okay, you're right, or am I'm wrong, or should we try to argue to insist that I am right? Okay. In that situation, you will know that their perceptions are that they are right. Your perceptions are you are that they are right. No, well, someone's right, someone's wrong. We all have different perceptions. So neither of them is right, neither of them is wrong. It's just different ways of looking at things. So trying to argue with somebody else, you're wasting your time. You're just making the situation worse. So please understand that in life two people are going to see things in two different ways. So instead of arguing who's right and who's wrong, we say we're both right. In, in a certain area. We're both wrong in a certain area. So let's combine our understanding rather than fighting with each other. The old simile of the elephant, you know, the men fight, uh, arguing over what an elephant is. When they com- if you don't know that story, it's in opening the door of your heart. When you combine your knowledge together, you get a much better idea of what the truth actually is. So please respect other people's perceptions. Don't try and change them. Get the book and read Chicken and Duck story. Yeah. It's a great story. Okay, we have one question here, life. Hi, Ajahn. Uh, my question has to do with a recent event that has happened and that was widely reported. That was uh, what Obama did to Osama. All right? Now, of course, uh, Obama is a Christian, so the Christian response is very clear, it's shown to the world. What if uh, Obama was a Buddhist? What would you, as a great exponent of Buddhism, advise him or advise us? You know, this is the real world issue, right? Yeah, okay. Um, I was very proud of the president of the Buddhist Society in West Australia, Dennis Shepherd. Um, he wrote a letter to our local paper complaining about people celebrating anybody's death. He was saying, we can understand that people who have been harmed and hurt by Islamic terrorists you know, would be, in a sense, relieved, but that's not justice. So he was saying that as civilized human beings, that we should be sad at anybody's death. Whatever you think of his actions, there were many people who looked upon Osama bin Laden as a great friend, as a lover. He was many kids' father. How do those kids feel losing their dad? How would you feel losing your dad? All death is a cause for sadness, he was saying. And as society which celebrates death, even killing people who you think are just totally bad and evil, he was saying is a very sick society. They're missing something very important. And I agree with that. And I was very proud of my president of our society for standing up for a great Buddhist belief. All killing, first precept, is wrong. And if we start by saying, well, in some situations, in some circumstances, some people are bad enough, they deserve to be killed, then that becomes what we call the slippery slope. 
Yeah, Osama bin Laden, he's a terrorist. You know, he's a danger to society. He deserves to be killed, we say. And from there, we go you know, to a slope which happened with Adolf Hitler. It's feel like sick people. You know, people who are deformed. You know, they're a drain on our society. Let's kill them. Homosexuals, Jewish people, whoever we think are not contributing to society. The elderly, think about it in Singapore when you get to 65 or 70. What contribution are you giving to our society? You're a drain on the society. We should euthanize them all. You can see there is an argument there. I don't agree with it. But as soon as you feel that death can be justified, it's a slippery slope. I don't know why it is that Obama, a Christian, who would say that abortion is wrong, who would say euthanasia is wrong, will still say it's okay to kill Osama bin Laden. There's a disconnect there. At least with Buddhism, Parnati Amani, Sikapadang Samadhi Ami, killing any being. And Osama bin Laden is a human being. It's against the precepts. There are other ways to deal with the problem. Killing just makes a martyr. It says killing is right. It justifies more violence in our world. Has any war ended wars? The First World War in Europe was said to be the war which ends all wars. Did it? Second World War? Has it ended wars? Vietnam War? Gulf Wars? Korean Wars? War in Afghanistan? There must. There must be another way. What is that other way? About us. Not them. One thing. I'm gonna, I love being controversial because a monk, a teacher, should make people see things in a different way. I think throughout our whole world, especially in countries like United States, certainly Australia and even Singapore, I think one day soon we'll have to make illegal religious schools. No more Catholic schools, no more Protestant schools, no more Buddhist schools, no more Islamic schools. Because they divide society, they segregate it. Wouldn't it be wonderful in our world the kids all went to the same school? They were Muslim, they were Christian, they were Buddhist, they were Hindu, they were Jew. In school you make your friends. How can you fight with your friends? Because if a Muslim grows up with a Jew and they're the best friends, when you're kids you don't understand what's the difference. If you grow up together, become friends, that's the end of the segregation, the misunderstandings, the mistrust, which are the fuel for many of our conflicts in our modern world. Thank you, Ajahn. Okay, go on. Sorry, yeah. Thank you, Ajahn Brahm. It's almost 12.30 and out of compassion for you, you haven't eaten and it's going to be your one last meal for the day. So, uh, if I may request. <laughs> uh, I know some of you have put in some questions and some are very pressing questions. I would like to, to invite you to come up to the center, which is on a second floor uh, in the next building. 
Uh, Ajahn Brown will be giving another talk at 1.45 in air-conditioned, better sound system environment. All of you are invited. And perhaps then you can ask Ajahn Brahm your question, either before or after. But um, as Ajahn Brahm has a restriction on his uh, eating time, I think we really need to bring this to a close. So before we end, I would like to just uh, request Ajahn Brahm to lead us in a very quick two-minute meditation, which you can extend it at home. But I think it's, it's good to reflect on all the Dhamma that we've heard today and to also make sure that we... Don't forget the most important practice in Buddhism, which is meditation. Okay, so sit down, close your eyes, and make peace with whatever you're experiencing right now. The sound, feelings in the body. Stop trying to fight them. Make peace with them. Stop trying to kill the noise terrorists. As you make peace with this moment, in the same way your body relaxes, your mind relaxes. Be kind, opening the door of your heart to this moment as it is and be so gentle so soft so in the next minute you're not going to disturb the world then the world will not disturb you Just making peace, being kind, being gentle. You may now open your eyes. Thank you. Thank you, Ajahn Brahm. So we say sadhu three times. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. <laughs> Thank you once again, Ajahn Brahm. And thank you for bringing the food uh, to make offering. Uh, they will be offered outside and you're invited to join the, uh, the lunch uh, that will be available outside.